I'm uh, Nicolas Bornodis, president of Capital Inc. and uh, the organizer of today's webinar. And I would like to welcome you all for joining us today at uh, a webinar that is going to address in a wonderfully uh, timely fashion, uh, the latest developments regarding investor interest, the resurgence of investor interest in shipping stocks. Uh, I have with me, and I would like to thank you very, very much for uh, accepting the invitation to join uh, Omar Nocta, head of the U.S. Securities of Claxons Plateau, uh, John Sapel, uh, Senior Managing Director and Head of Research at the Evercore, uh, Evercore and Radhi Gibbons, Group Head of the Energy Maritime uh, Shipping Equity Research at Jefferies. Three very well-known and very well-respected analysts joining us to discuss exactly the resurgence of investor interest in shipping stocks. Before we start our discussion, uh, allow me a couple of administrative issues. First of all, the uh, traditional disclaimer, uh, Capital Link uh, provides investor relations and media services to several listed uh, shipping companies and non-shipping companies, uh, including companies which may be mentioned in today's uh, webinar. Also, please note that some of the statements in the webinar may be forward-looking statements regarding future events. Our webinars, uh, including the one today, are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon. Uh, they do not constitute uh, any offer uh, to buy or sell securities or investment advice or investment or advice of any kind. And obviously the views expressed are not those of Capital Inc and we bear no responsibility for them. Uh, and with that, I would like to also ask our uh, audience, we have a huge audience with us. If you submit questions, please make them sector oriented rather than company specific. Our discussion aims to talk about trends and developments uh, in the broader market, not about individual companies. And with that, I would like to welcome uh, Omar, uh, John, and Randy. And uh, after a long period where uh, shipping has been overlooked in Wall Street, we see that suddenly there's a tremendous catch up over the last few weeks. Of course, the overall market has been going very well, but shipping stocks have played a tremendous catch up. So I'd like, we have seen new IPOs, new capital raisings, but also we have seen the uh, prices of, uh, of stocks in the secondary market rising up. So I'd like to ask you, what can we attribute this? Obviously, you are the analysts, you are the experts, you've been writing about the improved fundamentals almost across the board. Um, so is it now a catch up? Because uh, when I was talking to Randy the other day, he told me, I remember that line, that uh, growth investors now are turning into value and there's a lot of value in shipping stocks. So, Let's take this discussion off and let me know what you think. So maybe I can start with uh, Omar uh, and then we go around everybody, but please feel free to chip in. Sure. Um, thanks, Nicholas. Thanks for putting this webinar together for, to you and the, and the team at Capital Link. I think it's definitely well-timed. Uh, and as you said, and as we've seen, shipping stocks have been on a tear the past several weeks and we haven't seen this type of volume um, and interest across the board and you know, we've gotten used to seeing it happening in either pockets for tankers or pockets in dry bulk, but we're seeing it across the board, tankers, dry containers, gas, 
Um, and so it's it definitely an exciting time. And I think you, you, you basically mentioned it in your conversation with Randy that you, you, you indicated that a resurgence in demand is, is clearly there. I think one of the things that is exciting for the space is the fact that you know, I, think, I think over the past several years, there's always been this theme or the story of the order book being low and shrinking supply. And that was, that's always been positive, but what was really missing is the demand side of the equation. And that was, I think, would attract a lot of the investors, not just value, but growth oriented retail investors, dividend income investors. Those types of investors have been largely missing because there wasn't a, a uh, exciting growth story. And it's almost as if, you know, to put it this way, it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the shipping gods approached the, the ship owners and said, hey, what do you guys like? We're gonna give you a blank slate. What do you want? Uh, and ship owners basically said, okay, well, we'll keep the, uh, the low order book, but we'd like to restart the whole demand story. And the IMF raised GDP forecast this year to five and a half percent, that's huge. And, and so it's not just a forecast where we hope it's gonna be that, that high, uh, we're actually seeing it in the different sectors, whether it's container shipping, even look at dry bulk, the, uh, the smallest handies are at 10 year highs. We're not used to seeing that. Um, and so the, the minor bulks carry a lot of the, or sorry, the handies carry a lot of minor bulks and, um, and the, they're not so sensitive to commodity prices. It's all about GDP growth. And so questions on whether this GDP story is real is actually playing out in the shipping markets. We're seeing it day-to-day -day in dry bulk. We're seeing it day-to-day -day in containers. We're seeing it in energy. So there's a real recovery that we think is underway that's finally generating real returns to these ship owners and investors as a result are becoming much more excited because of the, uh, the improved cash flow. Yeah, to kind of follow up on that, obviously we saw 2020 uh, was pretty much risk off, especially in shipping, right? When the, when the world was ending, uh, for lack of a better term, um, no one wanted anything economically sensitive, energy related, global trade driven, right? And that is shipping to a T. Uh, so now that you're starting to see a little bit of economic recovery, people starting to look to the back half of 2021, especially 2022 even, um, it's been pretty broad, uh, the, the fund flows into shipping. You know, we cover 31 different shipping names here at Jefferies, and all 31 are up year to date pretty meaningfully, right? And shipping's always been a higher beta uh, sector, right? The S&P's up around 5% year to date. Uh, the Russell 2000's about 15% year to date. Shipping, the 31 stocks that we cover, are up an average of 34% year to date, right? So any kind of momentum, growth, kind of rotation away from those and into kind of value stocks and, and shipping, you, you can see a lot of upside without an extensive amount of inflows because the market caps are all relatively small relative to these big, you know, mega tech companies. So on the demand side, right, you're starting to see some green shoots pretty much across the board, right? It's not just a single sector. Um, and on the supply side, same story, right? You're looking at order book to fleet ratios at very low levels um, relative to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So the, the fundamentals are certainly in place for a couple of good years, at least uh, here in the early 2020s. I would just add that there's also bigger picture uh, things that work here beyond just the fundamentals of each subsegment. I think that's important. It's something we've spoken about with management teams over the years, usually on the other side when they're complaining about the lack of stock price performance in a strong market. Um, a lot of the bigger picture uh, boxes that you check in the broader market, whether it's the reflation trade, uh, commodity strength, uh, small caps, energy, highly shorted stocks, 
a lot of the out of favor names uh, and also the play on the recovery uh, eventually, whether that be the second half of this year or 2022. Um, I think the, I think shipping checks a lot of those boxes at the same time. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into the fundamentals of each uh, subsegment in particular, but I think when you have a, a, a market like the container ship market, uh, that's been incredibly strong and the, the strong performance of those stocks, even if the other subsegments haven't shown sustainable improvement yet, um, you know, we had some fleeting explosion of rates in LNG and LPG, uh, and even those have come down pretty remarkably uh, from the seasonal highs. Still, I think that investors are trying to find recovery plays. And as Randy pointed out, when you have limited market cap and, and relatively limited trading, um, daily trading volume, uh, just small moves uh, of funds into those types of stocks tend to have outsized returns. So I think if we, if we try to map it, um, first of all, I think we can, we have, we can say that uh, for quite some time, there has been a mispricing. Um, shipping stocks have been overlooked. I think they have been trading at valuations that did not reflect uh, their, call it uh, long-term potential. Obviously, it's a cyclical business, and I think you have certain inflection points that uh, drive the business to a new cycle. So number one, we have this mispricing for some time. Number two, now, uh, shipping to some extent is a proxy of global GDP growth. So I think a lot of the positive fundamentals, if I'm not mistaken, are demand-driven because we see global economies opening up, and uh, there's a lot more trade going on, uh, a lot more restocking, a lot more economic activity. And I think that coupled with low order book creates, I think, a fairly tight balance between demand and supply. Am I right on that? Can I, I'll touch on the mispricing comment first and then I'll let Randy and, and Omar talk about the second part of the question on fundamentals. I don't necessarily agree with the concept of mispricing. You know, the market is very efficient. So when these stocks are trading at substantial discounts to NAV, there's probably a reason for that. Whether that reason is the limited market caps and trading volumes, whether that's the fact that the cyclical spikes tend to be short-lived and no investor wants to be left holding the bag when, the, when you hit an inflection point. And we've seen this in several cycles in the past. It wasn't this way, as Omar remembers in, in 04 to 08, the, the shipping industry got the benefit of the doubt. Um, we, whenever there's a downturn in markets, people are already, always anticipating the next resurgence. Um, but since the global financial crisis, I think it's been a, um, an industry where you have to prove the sustainability of the cycle. So pricing at discounts to NAV when asset values were really high, when the markets were strong, those ended up in almost every case in the last decade been really kind of fleeting spikes in the market. So the investors, I think, uh, in retrospect, uh, were right. Um, so now that we have this, you know, strong fundamental outlook, you know, depending on the sector that you're looking at, um, I think it's going to be a slow grind in proving that this can be a sustainable upturn as opposed to just another winter spike or another floating storage spike or another sanctions driven spike. Is it really different this time where you have, um, you know, a, a multi-year, uh, upturn, uh, in the market. And then when you have that, I think you get broader investor appeal and appetite. And then you can start to see kind of a, a revaluation of these stocks where they should trade at NAV or better. But John, yeah. if, I, if I understand correctly what you're saying, you're making the distinction between having an isolated event uh, versus having a more sustainable momentum for the longer period of time. Yeah, which we I would argue we have not had a sustainable cycle in any segment of shipping, um, you know, since pre-financial crisis. 
Well, I would, I, I think I'd agree with that, John. The, uh, and that's part of the reason why we're excited looking ahead is that, yeah, when we, let's say you bring up tankers with respect to floating storage, right? Or the Costco sanctions or the, the short-lived oil price war that lasted a month uh, last spring. Uh, it seems like in tankers, it's always been something very exciting, but very short-term oriented. And so, yeah, you'll get spot rates to spike and you'll get day traders to come in and, and, and trade the names. We saw the record volumes last April in, in the sector, but it was just volumes. You didn't get people parking in these names. They just traded them back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of volatility in the past, but without a true sustainable story. This time though, it does feel quite different to us at least. Uh, you know, keeping it say on tankers, for instance, the uh, we, we think there's roughly about five million barrels missing from the market today in the seaborne trade, and we know that there's going to be a handful of million barrels coming as we proceed through the year, and we already know that the sector is very sensitive to just a million barrels, whether it's uh, give or take uh, being added or taken out of the market. Uh, historically, a million barrels will lead to, to, to huge volatility. Now imagine a million followed by another million and another million and another million. It's, so, it's almost like the ships are going to keep trying to get rerouted into the right locations. Um, and then as they do that, there's further barrels coming. So it seems like we're coming out of the gates very strongly here as we proceed to, to, through you know, 2021 on tankers. And then you've got the whole story of the, uh, the supply equation working in your favor. Uh, lack of new buildings uh, being delivered, lack of ordering, no one knows what to order. Plus you've got all the retrofit required uh, to adhere to a lot of the new regulations. So I think you've got the demand that's about to go, you know, bananas basically. And you've got supply that's uh, extremely tight. Yeah. And I think on the valuation side, historically there certainly has been extended periods where the, the shipping, shipping equities were traded a pretty massive discount to NAV. And as John said, normally that's when NAVs are, are kind of elevated, right? The last few months, that has not been the case. Shipping equities are still trading at pretty big discounts to NAVs, yet NAVs are at historical lows on the secondhand tonnage, right? Five-year, 10-year, however old you want to look at the vessels. So with that, it's not like they're trading at these kind of fictitious inflated NAVs and the NAVs are collapsing. In our view, you know, NAVs are rising. And we've seen that in recent weeks, um, especially with an inflation trade and higher steel prices and less incentive and likelihood to order new buildings. If you want to grow, you need to go buy some resales, some secondhands, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, whatever it may be. So for all those reasons, we think NAVs are starting to increase. And another reason shipping equities have historically traded at relative discounts to NAV is the debt overhang, right? A lot of these companies were over-levered large debt burdens, especially to finance all these new building programs over the last 10 to 15 years. That's not the case anymore, right? Not many companies even have any new buildings on order, not much CapEx requirements. And the balance sheets have obviously gotten in much better shape currently than they've been in, in you know, many years in the past. So for all of those reasons, we think the discount to NAV that maybe has been the case uh, basically perpetually uh, for some names over the last decade is probably not as warranted now as it has been. You know, uh, on that point, just uh, regarding the discount to NAV, you can't forget the fact that asset values have largely been better, call it, than say the earnings that are underlying those ships for the past decade, right? Since the financial crisis, uh, you haven't really earned your cost of capital. And so the, 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 if charters aren't willing to pay the freight rate required to, to justify the asset, then Wall Street's not going to give the same valuation either. Um, and 
you know, the past several years, we haven't really seen public companies that acquisitive. There hasn't been that much buying interest. And so you almost had a no bid market and asset values had been lazily coming off. Uh, and now we're starting to see companies become uh, much more active. We're seeing it in the tanker space, seeing it in dry bulk and in containers. So that, that presents a, to us a very optimistic uh, 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 story that if you've got asset value that's being supported by the public companies who have much deeper pools of capital, it tells us that asset values have uh, a, a good amount to run. If I can just tie together a couple of those points, though, um, to go back to, to the valuation discount. I mean, Randy's right. The, the debt overhang has been tremendous. Nobody wants to step into a dilutive equity raise or any type of capital structure move that ends up diluting the current shareholders. So I think those have been uh, companies that, that a lot of uh, investors have wanted to avoid. And to Omar's point about, and I think Randy brought this up as well, is, is growing into the optimistic future. I think how you manage your capital structure is going to go a long way on your valuation. Um, you know, if we start seeing companies uh, issuing equity just because there's a little bit of a spike in the stock price, but they're still trading at discounts to NAV, I can tell you right now, we're going to get a whole groundswell of here we go again. You know, these guys are terrible stewards of capital. They're always issuing equity to buy ships and they're always mistiming that. But if you can get your balance sheet to a point of strength where you can actually expand in the downturn with your own operating cash flow, uh, with some bank lending, with maybe some uh, interesting financing, without constantly hitting investors over the head with dilution, I think that in addition to a sustainable upturn in the market is what would really drive a broader based return of investors to the sector. But if I can ask you, uh, you mentioned, uh, and, and Omar, all of you mentioned that, I think freight rates are on the rise, but at the same time as uh, values have not caught up yet. Uh, and to some extent, I think uh, the, uh, the resurgence of investor interest has to do with the resurgence of S&P activity from the part of the companies that they expand their revenue base. So if you have uh, freight rates going up, asset values haven't gone up as much, isn't it the time now to expand? And if that's the time to expand more, how can you do it without raising capital? Going back to uh, John's point, um, if you still trade below NAV and now is the time to expand, how do you do it? Yeah, I think we, we've seen this from a handful of, of um, that they're still able to expand using you know, free cash, using cash on the balance sheet, maybe taking some leverage on some under encumbered assets to add to the debt that they're getting for the acquisition assets, right? So the, the only source of capital is not common equity. Um, so I think as, as companies realize that, and they have and more recently, um, right, there's been numerous companies who have expanded and done some acquisitions just using their cash on hand and obviously using some bank debt or sale leaseback uh, financing to um, finance the, the acquisitions. Or in the dry bulk space, you've even seen shares for ships, you know, directly. And it's, that's done on an NAV to NAV basis. Um, yep. You know, I think that that's a potential win-win, um, you know, for both parties. Um, but you're not, you know, like I said, sledgehammering the, the investors with a massive slug of equity and trust us to uh, you know, to, to use this capital in the right manner, because as the, the recent or even medium term history has shown, that hasn't necessarily been the case. So um, I think we're in the very early stages of this. I said I would never use the word, but, you know, quote unquote, consolidation, we're never going to see consolidation to the true meaning of the word. 
but what you've seen over the last couple of weeks of using your, your shares to add shifts at the downturn in the market, I mean, hopefully that's just the beginning uh, of a more structured uh, way to expand in this downturn. Well, it's also uh, just to chime in on, and, and follow up on John and Randy's comments, the, we, we are seeing a bit of patient investing as well on the part of the, the management teams. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, it does feel like the investments we have seen from a lot of the public companies have not been just simply about growth, just simply to grow. Um, but it's been a lot about replacing older tonnage. And so a lot of the transactions we've seen have been acquisitions uh, that have been exciting to see, but also we're seeing sales of older vessels. And so it does feel like the managements are um, a lot more constructive, but taking it slow and not being too aggressive. And I think the other thing just to mention is, I think the, the company balance sheets are generally stronger than I think most people will give them credit for. I mean, if you think of the sector as a whole, looking back in 2020, I mean, every one of these segments stared into the abyss and it looked like the, the world was gonna stop and who knew for how long, but there wasn't any sort of wide range massive dilutive equity raises, pretty much everybody was able to get by. Just, you know, worst case scenarios, you had to defer some debt repayments or or, or, um, or, or do some something along those lines. But common equity issuance just to, 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 to build a cash cushion didn't really come into the market. So I think that tells us that the companies are in much better shape than they had been, say, five years ago. So if I can ask you now, would company profitability improving and with the prospects almost across the board becoming more positive. Do you think that um, companies should be using their the cash flow to uh, expand or pay dividends? Are we, I think paying dividends and shipping has not been exactly, uh, you know, uh, a regular occurrence. Are we coming to a new phase now? I'm glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that question, Nicholas, and, and you did not plant this at all, but I was thinking about it yesterday. Um, I had a pretty heated dialogue with a, a colleague back in 2015, 16 in the tanker market boom. And his point was paying these large dividends based off of cyclical spikes is not uh, you know, adding value over the long term for these shipping companies. And, and my point at the time was it's the only way you're going to get investors involved is to provide a significant yield given the market cap challenges here. Uh, and in retrospect, you know, you hopefully you learn from your mistakes. I think my colleague was right. And I feel the same way now, um, you know, paying these huge dividends on spikes that may be short term in nature uh, does everything for the for the investor, quote unquote, investor who's there for that short period of time, but does nothing for the building the value of your franchise going forward. So I'm against the big dividends now. Uh, I think getting your balance sheet to a point of strength where you can be opportunistic uh, when the when the opportunities present themselves in the downturns where you can, you know, whether it's buyback stock at, at your discounts to NAV, um, you know, whether it's be acquisitive, um, just make sure you can withstand the cycle without having this debt overhang becoming, uh, you know, an albatross. And so I think getting the, the capital structure in place is, is you know, point number one. Um, so you can sustain a cycle, um, being acquisitive to take advantage of opportunities, and then, you know, buying back your own stock while, while you have like a floor dividend that you can pay throughout the cycle. But these big huge dividends, they've never gotten credit for them. And all they've done is put too much leverage on the balance sheet at a time where you should not be doing that. That's my view on dividends. And it's, and like I said, it's changed significantly over the last five years. Yeah, I think, I think dividends are important, but they should be small, stable dividends, right? Uh, and I think dividends do open yourself up to an entirely new kind of investor class, or at least a, a certain pool of investors who need some 
some kind of yield there. Um, but yeah, the, the massive dividends when you still have a, a decent amount of debt, when you're trading at a big discount to NAV, not, not a big fan of those either. Uh, it's good for the short term. It's like, hey, you get more trading liquidity around your dividend and bumps there. But when you're looking at true value, right, share buybacks, paying down debt, making accretive acquisitions, still having a dividend, um, but no one needs these massive dividends because, you know, once they stop and once they get cut, the algorithms start getting in, oh, this company cut their dividend or reduced their dividend. It's just a negative, right? So I think the, the smaller stable dividends is certainly the way to go. Well, I would, I guess, um, echo that. I think it's all three of us from the same uh, same camp on that. And it does it does feel that the dividend was much more of a gimmick going back to, as John mentioned earlier, the 04 to 08 cycle, when you had a lot of companies IPOing and it was an infant sector on the, in the eyes of Wall Street, who didn't have much experience with say dry bulk um, or containers. And so a dividend was something to entice investors um, to get them on board. But as time has gone on and the sector has become a bit more mature, there's a lot of companies uh, trading uh, in the New York Stock Exchanges. So the, the, the idea of a dividend being the majority of your free cash flow uh, is really kind of dated. And yeah, exactly as John and Randy said, the, the, you pay out, you, when, when, when a management team structures its strategy around the dividend and what does that mean for the dividend, that's, that's the wrong way to go. It, it needs to be about what's best for the company over the long term, and then dividend will, uh, will have to match that. I really appreciate that uh, all three of you brought this up because at the end of the day, if you allow me to point out the following, there is a fundamental disparity between any listed company, not only shipping and the investor base. If you are a listed shipping company, you are there for the long term. Shipping is your business and you are going to remain in shipping for the duration. As an investor, you have a different mandate. Your mandate as an investor is to find opportunities that will maximize your return within a certain time frame and then move on. Actually, I think there are a number of investors who are mandated by their internal guidelines when their return hits a certain percentage to sell and move on. So I think going back to what you said very well, Companies need to manage their capital markets presence in a very responsible way and with the eye on the long term, not on the short term. But unfortunately, sometimes, you know, with quarterly earnings, uh, people feel more compelled to, to adhere to short-term pressures rather than long-term expectations. But thank you for, uh, for bringing this up. So... If we go back now into a couple more sector-oriented, market-oriented questions, and then we go into the sectors. One of the major themes has been all these environmental regulations, the IMO, uh, decarbonization, and so on. What impact do you think this is going to have across the board? I could take that to start. Um, I think it, I think it's huge, uh, Nicholas, and it's and it's two pronged because. We're going into uh, we're going into a period now where the the, the focus on the operational um, uh, the operational side is going to be much more scrutinized. So it's not just about having the right vessel and the one that doesn't emit as much uh, you know emissions and greenhouse gases and whatnot. It's also about on a day to day basis how much carbon are you putting out. So you've got the technical standards and you've got the operational. So just to simply have the vessel classed. Um, and for it to be, uh, you know, for, for it to pass all of its surveys, it's going to need, especially older vessels are going to need a, a good amount of uh, retrofit, um, uh, retrofitting. 
And then aside from that, everyone is being measured on their carbon emissions uh, going forward. Uh, and, so, and so you've got the ship owners, every single ship that they have, they're gonna have to measure the carbon emissions, they're gonna have to report that. And then there's gonna be rewards and penalties depending on how they, how they do. And so you have a real incentive on the part of the ship owners. And you've also got the charters themselves who are also being measured in a very similar way. Uh, and so everyone's incentivized to really uh, do their best uh, to, to, to meet the new green standards and they're becoming more, much, much more strict. And so between the IMO, you've got the EU trading, uh, the, the carbon trading uh, uh, platform that shipping is going into. You've got the US that's starting to put a carbon tax in place. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to really cause the, the sector to have to spend a lot of capital to retrofit old ships, slow steam, and then potentially think about the future when it comes to the right propulsion system. But that's going to take time for that technology to come together. But I think at the very least, you know, to, to combat a lot of the carbon emissions, the, the simplest and easiest thing to do and everyone's on board with uh, would be just to slow steam further and making the supply just that much, uh, much tighter. Would uh, Randy or uh, John want to add to that? Yeah, I think that that answer summed up a lot of it. But right, uh, we think on the supply side, it's certainly going to be beneficial. Uh, you're going to have to upgrade your assets. You're going to have to scrap older ships. You're going to have to slow steam, all of those things. Now, the demand side is certainly a question mark, right? Um, if you are a crew tanker and you're moving crude oil, but you're battery powered even, right? Nitrogen, uh, ammonia powered, whatever it's going to be. Um, how real ESG friendly are you and sustainable, all those things, who knows? But in terms of like IMO 2030 uh, and the regulatory bodies around that, right, we think there will certainly be a, a shift um, to at least LNG dual fuel, if not, you know, even better kind of alternative fuel choices. And that's going to require capital. It's going to require time, a big transition. And obviously the last huge transition was like single haul to double haul. And then you saw a little bit of transition with IMO 2020 and scrubbers and all these things. Uh, but obviously IMO 2030 uh, is even a bigger step in that direction. So yeah, we think on the supply side, it should be very beneficial to you know ship owners. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think uh, Omar and Randy covered all of it. And, and you know, Randy's point, I think the, the long-term view on what this means for demand and some of the commodities that are carried by these industries will uh, are still a question mark and we'll see how they evolve. Um, but I think the, the supply side at this point is more immediate. Are scrubbers part of the picture today? They seem to be making more headlines again. Yeah, of course. I think, of course, they're part of the picture. I think they're part of the near-term solution to a long-term issue. Um, you know, I think the, uh, the hype around them has certainly died down from where we were sitting, you know, maybe 18 to 24 months ago. Um, but they can still be economic in the right fuel price environment. And that fuel price environment has been evolving uh, over the last three to six months. So I think it's a, um, it's a short-term solution. As I said, it, it could be profitable, um, you know, for a short period of time. Um, but I, I also don't think the, uh, you know, the hype around it to go out and, and generate uh, capital to, to go fit an entire fleet with scrubbers. I don't think the appetite's there for that right now. Um, if you have them, great decision. Well, you know, good decision today, maybe not great decision 12 months ago. Uh, but if you don't have them, I think you need to start looking at the next stages of this technological uh, evolution. Yeah, I think for scrubbers, the fuel spreads in a sweet spot right now, right? It's, it's high enough that, as John said, you're getting good returns, right, on your scrubber investments for those who have installed them. But it's not high enough to really incentivize 
everyone to, oh, we need a scrubber now, right? So uh, I think you're in a, in a good spot for those who have scrubbers already. When you look at, um, when you look at decarbonization, going back to what uh, Omar had started discussing, a lot of uh, shipping companies feel that shipping is kind of isolated in terms of uh, being unfairly treated uh, because the solution for decarbonization should not rest exclusively on the uh, shipping companies. Um, it should also rest on the fuel producers. I mean, they make the analogy that, um, you know, when you have uh, fuel that goes into the, uh, the car, you're not asking the car to change the engine, you're asking the fuel manufacturer to change the fuel. Um, and uh, so you all cover more than just shipping. Uh, what is your take regarding what is happening in other industries and whether shipping is in, in sync with what's happening in the broader transportation area? Let me just say this. Was there a shortage of VLSFO uh, on January 1st, 2020? I mean, we heard all of these Y2K issues about, you know, fuel shortages or, um, you know, poorly blended fuels and engine shutdowns. And, and maybe the pandemic saved that with the steep drop in demand. But, you know, we can look back now over the last 14 months, there certainly doesn't seem to be any significant shortages um, that have disrupted global trade. So, you know, shocking that the, the shipping companies are, are, uh, are upset that it's all falling on them and, and, and their capital structures. But, uh, I do think there was enough time for the refining industry to prepare. I think they did that. Um, yes, the, the shipping industry bears some of that cost. The charters should bear some of that cost as well. Um, you know, we won't name names because I, wanna, I want to uh, avoid naming names. But, you know, a certain company in, in their last earnings um, conference call, you know, noted how they're looking for long-term charters when they think about things like ammonia or dual-fueled LNG. Um, so I do think the charters are uh, very aware that they need to pay uh, you know, for some of this, um, uh, some of this investment in, in the next stages of fuel propulsion. Uh, and I think that the, um, you know, the, the shipping companies that have good relationships with some of the major charters out there can construct uh, charters that enable them to, you know, be, be a bit more proactive in some of the uh, initiatives that they, they wish to pursue. Um, I don't think it, it's falling on the shipping companies. And, and I think that the results uh, have proven that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think ship owners can or will you know, kind of carry the burden by themselves. I think the charterers, especially the large charterers that everyone knows their names, um, are doing some of that, right? They're doing these long-term sale leasebacks or charters at decent returns, enough to kind of minimize uh, risk, at least from a speculative LNG-powered, nitrogen-powered, ammonia-powered ship, right? So I think there'll be some there. But yeah, obviously shipping does get a bad rap in that regard. Um, shipping is a huge industry, right? Um, but when you look at it on a you know dollar per cost of transportation basis, shipping is very small in terms of the emissions the, uh, emissions that ship owners emit. So it's hard. It's an easy target to point to. Oh yeah, but look at all these ships who are you know dumping oil in the sea and dumping sulfur in the sea and doing this, that, and the other. Um, but yeah, disregard the airplanes and the semi-trucks and everybody else. So uh, it, it's a hard uh, hard balance for those ship owners, for sure. It, 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 well, it's a good point. I mean, it, shipping, uh, ocean shipping still is the, uh, uh, the, the one, the cheapest form of uh, transportation, but also the lowest uh, emission form of transportation as well. And we can't forget that, you know, the, the IMO's uh, uh, target of reducing uh, carbon emissions by 40% by 2030, we're already halfway there the shipping industry. 
despite the fact that the fleet's grown astronomically coming out of the financial crisis. Um, and that's just a result of eco-designed ships and slow steaming. And so you know, the, that trend's gonna continue here in the next uh, decade. Well, Mark, great point, by the way. I mean, all of you make great points, but um, going back to what you said, it's very interesting. If you go to the website of any ship owner association, they point out exactly what Omar said, that shipping is by far the dominant uh, uh, mode of transport, uh, transportation for the world uh, commerce. And, and shipping has the lowest emissions compared to other uh, you know, forms of transportation. So it's a very interesting fact. Anyway, uh, going now into a new topic. I mean, our discussion today is the resurgence of investor interest in shipping stocks. So if I may ask you, we have, uh, I mean, we all have been thinking of uh, the institutional investor market as a driving force for capital markets. But also we see that there's a huge participation from retail uh, and individual investors. Uh, and a lot of them are very active in uh, throughout uh, the shipping universe. So where do you see the activity and the interest coming from? And do you see a change in the market dynamics in the, in the investor profile? I mean, again, in the past, we used to focus more on institutional investors. Now it's more of a balanced view. Um, so if you can share with me your, uh, your insight, I presume your uh, inboxes must have been quite full these days with, inter with inquiries. Sure, yeah, just to touch on that, we've certainly seen more of a balance there. Obviously your large institutional investors, the long onlys are, coming back um, or the hedge funds, they've always been around, just kind of ebbs and flows. Um, and then obviously now the smaller accounts, the family offices, um, even individual investors, retail side, uh, is certainly picking up some interest as well. You know, the market caps aren't huge. Um, the trading liquidity isn't massive, right? So it's really hard to take huge positions for, for very, very, very large funds. Uh, where smaller funds and uh, family offices and retail and whomever can obviously make a, a bigger bet uh, on a smaller company. So you have seen some of that. But, you know, Jeffries, we did a, a secondary offering recently. We helped out with an IPO recently. Um, and a lot of the people I've spoken to on those were institutional investors, right? Uh, larger, larger companies. And the same is true looking at what's going on in dry bulk, looking at what's going on in tankers, LNG. So certainly getting more interest uh, in the sector overall. Now there's always been, okay, let's talk tankers in April. Let's talk containers in September. Let's talk dry bulk in June when rates went from 3,000 to 30,000 on a cake. Um, so there's always these kind of sector specific things, but in terms of broad general uh, investor appetite and interest, certainly ticking up here in recent weeks. And to your point, uh, certainly across the board in terms of size of funds. I agree. I agree with uh, with what Randy is saying. The our uh, I've gotten much more busy uh, on the phone, not not talking only to hedge funds, which uh, typically is uh, the primary investor base in, in shipping. There's a, a bit more long only interest, but uh, it's not flying off the rails, is what I would uh, I would say. There's a lot more discussions. Um, there's a lot more interest. People sharpening their pencils, um, but I think there's definitely a, a, a much bigger audience just waiting on the wings. Yeah. Difficult for us to answer that question directly, too. I mean, I can't speak for Randy Noor, but I think <clears throat> I think they're in the same situation. I mean, our our client base is an institutional client base. Uh, we don't have a prime brokerage, so I don't speak to retail uh, investors directly. 
I would say, you know, looking at the stock uh, price charts this year and, and tying that in with some bigger themes in the broader market, that it certainly seems to be a retail-driven recovery. Um, I do think that, you know, to, Ar to Omar's point, um, those moves in the stock prices is starting to generate a bit more interest. Um, but also to his point, I think the broader institutional uptake of this is is not quite there yet. Um, you know, some people are certainly looking for uh, quote unquote mispriced stocks where uh, maybe the outlook is, uh, you know, pretty optimistic, but I think just the broader uh, acceptance of the group, uh, we're, we're far from that point. Uh, and that goes back to the whole uh, point earlier of, of sustainable upturn in the market. And it's really, it's interesting to me because, you know, maybe this is a transition to the sectors the container ship market is on fire and those stocks have done really well as, as one would expect. Um, the LNG market was on fire for a short period of time, uh, but those stocks have continued the upswing really. Same thing with LPG. Um, you know, Nicholas, you said a few times like, the, like the, the strong market. I mean, tanker market's the worst I've ever seen, you know, for, especially for this period of time. Um, so the, the stock price reaction there is certainly a disconnect between the current fundamentals and, and the stock price. And, I, and quite frankly, I mean, I don't cover dry bulk anymore, but, you know, to see the, the handies, as Omar mentioned earlier, um, you know, outperforming the capes and the dry bulk stocks go up every day. I mean, that, that is a very rare occurrence. So to me, there's something that's bigger picture, reflation, commodities, retail, shorted names, uh, more so than there is a fundamental um, institutional investor, you know, support to what's going on here. But you kind of need uh, one before you can, you can have the other. And I think that's a good point. Like you're not just seeing, you know, the tankers trading with VOCC rates or drywall trading with Cape rates, right? People are clearly looking out, right? Looking at the forward curve, looking out at time charter rates, looking at asset values and kind of seeing, all right, yeah, the next few months stink and they're going to stink, especially for tankers, maybe for Cape size rates, who knows, uh, LPG, LNG with seasonality. Um, but the back of the year, 2022, most are assuming and expecting rates to be much better. So it's not just trading with today's spot rates. So we'll go into the sectors in just a minute, but I would like to ask one last question on the investor profile. Am I right to assume that institutional investors and individual investors may lo be looking for different things? Am I wrong to assume that individual investors tend to be a lot more trading oriented if I look at their uh, participation in several retail networks and so on, uh, is that a fair assessment or? Uh... I think generally speaking, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there, there's hedge funds that are, you know, in positions intraday. Um, so I don't think we should paint, paint the entire institutional investor base with, with the same brush as, you know, a, a long-term investor taking a three to five year view on things. Um, but generally speaking, I, I think that is correct. I think you'll see, um, you know, people get in and out of positions a lot quicker uh, from the retail perspective, primarily because it's just a, it's a smaller amount of funds. Um, so for them to get in and out of position doesn't have the same impact on a share price intraday uh, than it would for a, a bigger institution to actually make a trade of such size that it would actually move the needle on their P&L. Yep. Okay. So if we go now into the, uh, the sectors, uh, if I may ask uh, each one of you, which are your favorite sectors right now? And then let's go into each sector, you know, briefly to, to discuss the fundamentals. So maybe Randy, I can start with you. What is your, um, in terms of priority, containers, dry bulk, 
gas tankers. Yep, you for me. Um, yeah, definitely containers, container ships. Uh, we've been very bullish on that sector basically since August, and stocks have worked out very well um, for those. Um, so container ship market, supply is very low, demand is good. Container ship charter rates that are being booked now are lasting 18 and 24 months, right? So this isn't a two or three week um, event or a couple months. This is quarters, if not years, right? Um, dry bulk, similar there. You know, when you look at the supply growth of two, maybe 3% this year, probably similar next year. And you look at demand growth of five plus percent. Uh, iron ore is very strong. Even coal demand is probably going to go up this year. Grains, minor bulks, all of those things. Um, and then probably third on the gas side, um, I think we like LPG probably a little better than LNG uh, at this point. Um, and then last, tankers. But again, if you give me two years, I think there's a lot of upside in tankers, right? For the next two to three months, I don't see many big catalysts, at least for rates, um, over the next couple months. But as we've seen recently, right, investors are kind of looking past near-term weakness and looking kind of uh, longer term. Omar, how about you? Sure. I guess I'll um, maybe maybe the, the opposite of Randy uh, and, and start with tankers. Uh, I, I touched on that early on in the, in the call. That's the one that I guess you could say the blueprint's been created. We've seen every other sector in shipping uh, respond to the effectively the, the vaccine or the anticipation of the vaccine or just simply the overall market improvements. Um, and so what we've seen in LNG and LPG this past winter, what we've seen in container shipping, what we've seen in dry bulk, that's in store for tankers. That's our view. Uh, and, and so that, that's the most exciting element. And yeah, the next month or two probably looks tough with the Saudis having taken the, those million barrels offline. But the reality is that the oil price continues to go up the curve continues to widen. Um, and so there, there, there's a real sort of bubbling underneath the surface uh, of a huge requirement for those crude barrels to come back. And so that, that's the most exciting for us. Um, dry bulk, I would say second in that what has been missing really for the past uh, 10 plus years is a really healthy steel infrastructure story. Um, and it's not just in China, we're seeing it in uh, ex-China. Uh, global steel prices are, are very strong. US uh, steel prices are at their highest levels since 2008. So there's a real industrial story that's driving dry bulk, we think for the uh, here for, for, for now and looks like it's gonna be sustained for some time. So I, I would say you know, tankers dry bulk as like the top ways to, to, to play a recovery story and a strengthening story. And clearly containers just remains on fire and. Uh, and that's a sector where uh, tonnage providers are finally getting paid what they should be for offering those ships uh, to the liner companies. Uh, and so that, that's an exciting space that's going to offer a lot more visibility and earnings power than they've been used to seeing. Thank you. So you are, um, Randy is more bullish on the uh, container market that is right now literally on fire, you are more uh, on the labor sector, eh? the tanker sector. Yeah, I think I think we I think we generally are in agreement that the containers are a very exciting space uh, and, and it's both both very profitable for liners and the ship owners. Uh, and there's something more there than just simply what we think is just it's not just restocking and it's not just and consumers spending more on goods and services, there's definitely something else uh, driving it. And so we think it's much more sustainable. Uh, but from looking at the stocks perspective, say tankers are 
primed for a, a big move. So if I'm a, if I am a container ship owner, I, I go and I charter for the maximum duration I can. If I'm a dry bulk owner, I play spot day by day. <laughs> so what about you, John? A tougher question for me to answer because I don't cover every sub-segment anymore. We've moved more into um, surface transportation. Um, I'll tell you my uh, longtime associate, Sean, he's more favorable on LPG than he is on LNG. Um, you know, on tankers, I think it's what's your definition of a recovery. So are things going to get better than they are today? They have to, and they absolutely will, for all the reasons that Omar just pointed out. Um, are we going back to 50,000 a day by 2022? I think that's unlikely. I mean, I think at the very, in its most simplistic form, just look at global oil demand uh, in 2022, and it's impossible to, to, to gauge it right now, but just look at what the estimates that are out there versus 2019, and it doesn't grow very much over that three-year period just because of the precipitous drop in 2020. Uh, and in the meantime, although the fleet growth has been very muted and the slow steaming that Omar brings up uh, should have an impact on the market going forward, it still grew. And then there's no debate about that. So um, you know, I think when you look over the next uh, several quarters, there will be a move up. So by definition, that is a recovery. Um, but I'm not sure it gets to the, to the point where you really get broad-based uh, investor excitement about, you know, just getting back above cash break-evens, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, so, so better, but not great is, is how I would say that. And, and you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn on containers. Um, but what I will say is, uh, we watch it from afar to, to be kind of smart on it. I will tell you the U.S. Uh, supply chain now from covering railroads and trucking uh, is massively congested, and that is playing a role on getting the equipment to where it needs to be. It's also playing a role on where ships are ending up, you know, trying to bypass Long Beach and Los Angeles because of the congestion there. And that I think that's tying up voyages as well. Um, you've started to see some impact on the container ship rates into Europe because of the, the slowdown in the economies there. And you know, just, you know, going back to floating storage or Costco sanctions or, you know, Brazilian impacts on Cape sizes, anomalous events tend to be short-lived. And I do agree with Omar that there is a bit more discipline within a much more consolidated ownership base in containers than there are in, in bulk commodities. Um, however, I'll tell you when, when I'm vaccinated and the world's vaccinated, I'm not spending money on electronics or, uh, or Pelotons. I'm spending money on restaurants and babysitters and, uh, and airfare. So I, I think that container ship uh, issue, I, I think that is a little bit overheated right now. And, and at some point there will be a normalization there. Probably better than, you know, than downturns past, but um, you know, the next leg there probably has to be down. So we are, we, we are 52 minutes into the hour, uh, a few more minutes uh, before we wrap up. I wanted to, to ask you, as we know, we're having our conference uh, on March 2nd and 3rd. Uh, we are hosting it every year together with uh, City. Unfortunately, Chris Weatherby could not be with us today because he's hosting a conference himself. Um, but uh, Omar and Randy will be joining us. Uh, so please join us on March 2nd and 3rd. We have uh, a great agenda. We have coined our, uh, we have titled our conference Sailing into Recovery. And I think based on our discussion here, we are uh, sailing into recovery, both from a global GDP perspective and hopefully from um, shipping sector fundamentals. So do you expect, I mean, I read your reports, do you expect, uh, despite the robust performance of shipping stocks so far, I, do you expect the momentum to continue? 
Do you expect uh, more IPOs to come to the market and from what sectors? We have had uh, no new companies uh, IPOing in the last two years. Uh, so is it the time that we see more activity? Yeah, I, I think from uh, a few answers there. First, in, in terms of cyclical structural strength, right. I don't think we get back to 04, 08, kind of the uh, early 2000s. Um, at the same time, I think the second decade, 2010, uh, 20, was terrible, right? So I think it's going to be somewhere between the two, um, which should be a, a good three, five, nine years, uh, if you want to look at all the, the entire decade. Um, and then in terms of uh, activity and uh, equity offerings and IPOs and those things, you know, there, there was the IPO of Zim uh, recently. And obviously, uh, that was the first IPO, uh, shipping US listed IPO in five years, six years, something like this. Um, now they had a differentiated story. They had a unique story, right? So I think you still want and need that um, because again, it's hard for a just basic drywall company to go public, um, arguably at NAV, if you can still get these other drywall companies below NAV, right? Or same thing with tankers or whatever the case may be. So you probably need to have some size. You probably need to be differentiated in some way, um, have a good story as to why investors should participate in your IPO versus just buying a common equity that's already outstanding below NAV. That's uh, interesting. I, I'll just follow up on Randy's comment. The, uh, yeah, I, I like the, 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 the idea of, okay, 0408 was bull cycle. And then the following decade was effectively a low cycle. And so what you've got coming up is maybe the average of both, which is a mid cycle. And that's a good enough market that, uh, you know, good companies will make good profits, but it's really all about management and their execution and their strategy. And I think that's probably an exciting thing looking ahead that as opposed to just simply investors looking at a stock just because they like the assets, I think increasingly it's going to be all about what is management doing? Are they effective uh, with their with their strategy? And they'll invest that way. Yeah, I completely agree with, with both of them. I'm glad Randy said differentiate. It's the first word that came into my mind when you asked this question, Nicholas. Um, you know, these, these companies have been around for a while. I think there's been now a differentiation to Omar's point of management credibility with how they manage the cycles, both operationally and financially. And I think that if we do get a period of sustainable, quote unquote, mid-cycle rates, I do think there'll be a differentiation in the valuation of the currently listed um, you know, public stocks. And I don't think there's a huge appetite. There certainly isn't from my standpoint, um, you know, for a bunch of uh, you know, similar stocks to come to the market and, and just add your ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, sub 500 million market cap stock. Let's see these current equities and the current management teams that have managed these difficult cycles uh, really start to add some value if possible. Uh, see them get appropriate valuation, see what they can do with an actual currency with their equity and build some investable stocks in this group. Let's not just have uh, you know, another um, you know, crush of 200 million market cap stocks out there. It's, it's really the last thing the sector needs um, you know, if it really wants relevance in the institutional investor base. Well, I'd like to thank you all very much. Uh, it's been uh, an extremely interesting discussion. Uh, it's always a great privilege for me to be able to team with you and uh, have this uh, insightful discussion. We have great attendance and uh, I, I think we hit it spot on because the timing and the topic are really wonderful. So thank you to all three of you. Before we wrap up, if you have any closing arguments, um, 
any of you, please. Uh... Uh, well, um, no, thanks, Nicholas. It's a, a pleasure. And uh, thanks for inviting uh, me uh, and, and us to participate. Yeah, I would agree. And I'll, I'll just say some people are like, oh, well, the, the shipping stocks are up 34% year to date. We must have missed it. Well, they're still down, most of them, right, year over year. Um, so I think they're still a decent amount of eggs. They probably shouldn't have got to the oversold levels they got to in September, October, November, right, before the rally kind of started. Um, so still plenty of room to the upside. Uh, thanks again for having me. And, yeah, looking forward to a pretty robust 2021. Thank you. No arguments for me. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for being with me today. And uh, thank you to everybody for joining. And just to remind you, we have our shipping conference on March 2nd and 3rd, and uh, I hope you will all join us then. Thank you again. We can all disconnect. Thank you.